Hi, everyone. Welcome to SACSA's new podcast, To Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt. I serve as an associate vice president here at James Madison University. I'm excited to be one of your co-hosts for To Practice. And my name is Kate Radford. I serve as the Director of Leadership Education and Development at Clemson University. So just to catch you up in case you missed the first episode, a little background on this podcast. Miles and I used to work together at Clemson. And for context, our office at the time was about half graduate students. And through the years, we've reflected a lot on the training provided to our amazing grad students and came to probably what is a fairly obvious realization that we were the host and bared a lot of responsibility for the practical experience and the practical growth um, of developing those skills in our students. So this podcast is born of that realization. Um, Since then, Miles and I have spent a lot of time thinking through some of the practical skills that are necessary to thrive in our field. And this podcast is meant to share those reflections to continue to hone our own skills as practitioners and offer a chance for us to intentionally sit down together and stay in conversation with one another now that we don't get to work together. So we'll continue to do this through a grouping of seasons that are each based around a specific skill. And in case you missed it, this first season, we are focusing our time talking about supervision. All right. So, Kate, thank you for that introduction to transition to the really important stuff. Um, Kate, can you tell me what is the most interesting thing happening in the Half Mile Lake Facebook group this week? You know, I'm really going to look forward to doing this on each of these episodes because full transparency, I've sort of tuned out the Half Mile Lake Facebook group because as I shared last week, it's just it gets a little overwhelming um, and so I, I kind of tend to have ignored the notifications recently, but this is forcing me back in. It's like throwing me right into the deep end of the pool to know what's going on in that half mile like Facebook group. So, um, I would say first things first is I shared with y'all last week about Beverly, the dog and the attention paid to Beverly, the dog seems to me that we have really switched our attention this, the last couple of weeks to, um, from dogs to cats. So lots of is this your cat? This cat is in my front yard. This cat is eating my cat's food outside conversations, like several to the point that I was like, these have to be the same cat that's showing up at all these places. It's not pictures being shared left and right about these animals that are showing up. So, um, there's that the other, like kind of drama. I don't think the cats are very dramatic. It's more just like curious to me that people are like really cognizant of the like wildlife in their front yard. But, um, the other sort of dramatic piece, um, is apparently our neighborhood is like happened with people wanting to live there, which, you know, is not surprising given the like housing market, not anything specific to my neighborhood, but just knowing that people are really trying to find a good deal in a house right now, which seems impossible. So, um, there's a lot of drama on like, if you were going to sell, can you please tell the neighbors so that we can tell our friends, like, don't list your house, uh, conversations going on that are like really cracking me up. Cause I just, it doesn't seem logical from like a, if you're going to sell and try to, you know, make money on your home, probably like undercutting yourself by telling your neighbors first and letting them have someone offer to you. It might not be the best bet. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, so there's that going on. 
So I'll keep you updated. If you're looking to move to Greenville, Half Mile Lake's not your, not your jam right now because people are really buying over houses. And then the final thing is just not really drama, but Girl Scout cookies are just like coming at me from every angle. I don't know if anyone else is in that world right now of all of your friends um, selling Girl Scout cookies, but they're everywhere in my life. I have two wonderful nieces who sold me uh, pretty much my weight in Girl Scout cookies about three weeks ago. And now all my neighborhood people are trying to get me to buy Girl Scout cookies. So that's the scoop. That's what I got going on. Do you have a preferred Girl Scout cookie, Kate? I feel like that's a really important, like if you had to pick one Girl Scout cookie to eat for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? That is like such an absurd question because of course I do. And of course the correct answer is Thin Mints. Well, listen, I listen, I'm not like anti-Thin Mint. I'm just saying that I think Samoa slash Caramel Delights, depending on where you're sourcing yours from regionally. I just think it's the right choice. Now I understand coconut's not for everybody, but you know, Samoas have been with me for a long time and I will continue to love them. So. Yeah. They're not for me. They're not for me. Thin mints in the freezer is the move. If you haven't done that, which I think most people know that trick by now, but if you didn't know that trick, thin mints in the freezer is where it's at. It's where it's at. Well, I think also it's important to note that the sort of ultimate irony of this recording is that today <laughs> we're talking about onboarding, but we're a week late in doing this recording. Kate, would you like to sort of mention the irony of why we're late in doing this recording? Yeah. Well, some background on this. My friend Miles here is a really good scheduler and has, well, and his team has helped us to get these times scheduled. And Miles repeatedly shows up to these meetings on time and is ready. I, I have not maybe um, met my end of the deal on that. But last week was not my fault. The ultimate irony is that literally when we were supposed to be recording, I have a new fabulous new uh, staff member. Shout out to Michaela Morris, who is new to our team here at Clemson. And um, she was arriving in town, like literally when we were supposed to be scheduling. So I had to text miles and say, I've got a new employee coming who I've got to go do some onboarding stuff with. And, um, I think maybe you thought I was joking at first. Cause that did seem really ironic, but alas, it was true. So I think she's settling in. Well, I hope that some of the things we'll share with you today are, are things that we've done well in her first week, but we're really excited to have her. Mm. Well, that's, that's uh, good to hear. I'm glad that I'm glad that y'all are off to a flying start there. Um, so to conclude our sort of get to know you section here, um, I would also, I'll transition to our sort of last segment, um, which is a student affairs shout out. So just as a reminder, this is an idea um, from our uh, mutual friend and Kate's still current colleague, Erica Lee. Um, so you have the opportunity as somebody listening to this podcast to write in and share a shout out for a student affairs friend and we'll read it in this section and just in keeping with our shared commitment to social justice in our work we'd ask that as a sort of trade-off for that that you would make a donation to an agency that's working in a variety of ways to make our society more just and then kate and i will also make donations for each shout out and I've got our very first not created by us shout out ready to go here. Kate, would you like to hear it? I would. Okay. So this is from uh, Rachel Bood, who works at the University of Cincinnati. And it's about Amber Whitaker, who uh, currently works at Florida Gulf Coast University. She's a very proud uh, alum also of Florida Gulf Coast University. Um, so here's what Rachel had to say about, about Amber. 
You could say that after living, learning, working, and having the privilege of a close friendship with Amber that I'm a bit biased, but I genuinely believe she's among the best education has to offer. She's sharp and creative in her work, and while she's juggling the inevitable obstacles of work in this field with grace and humor, you'll still find her ready to listen and fiercely support when a student walks through her door. She understands the value of education, and with the intellectual skills and overwhelming compassion, she knows what it takes to walk with students in that process. Above all, I've never felt more seen by anyone in my life, and I think that Amber's greatest gift is her ability to see people in a way that makes us believe in ourselves and each other. So that's really wonderful. Um, if you would like to uh, provide a shout out to a colleague in the field, um, you can send me an email. My email address is s-u-r-r-e-t-m-d at jmu.edu. If you're curious, that is not how my last name is spelled. It's one T short, um, but you know, it's just a the way the system works here at James Madison University. All right, so last time in our first episode, we talked through our supervision philosophies with a particular emphasis on honoring identity in supervision relationships. So this week we're, to quote Maria Von Trapp, going to start at the very beginning and discuss onboarding. So let's start here. Miles, why do you believe onboarding is important? Yeah, so I mean, it's the beginning of a relationship, right? It's the it's the the chance that you get right from the very beginning to let people know that you care about them and that you are engaged in a process where you are actively um, where you are actively um, trying to give them the best possible opportunity to be successful in the work. I think it sets a tone. Um, of what the, you know, of what the experience is going to be like, you know, how people are welcomed into work, um, the message that they're sent about how they um, get to approach work. I think it's all, I think it's all really, it's all really critical. It's the beginning. There's a lot, a lot of information out there that would, that would say that this transitional process is really, really critical for how people experience the work. Um, and it gives you a sense of, of saying very, very clearly that you are a priority um, in this process. Um, there's also a, um, a theory and sort of business psychology called employee engagement, which holds that people invest of various parts of, to various levels in work settings, which I think is pretty common sense for folks, but that level of employee engagement and how people, the phrase that is used in employee engagement theory is how fully people feel to invest in themselves in the workspace tends to be aligned with how successful they're going to be in terms of productivity. And you can think about it in productivity if you want. You can think about it in terms of output. And I think we have a very student-centered mindset. And so thinking about productivity in terms of how we engage in student learning is, is a really positive thing. Sometimes productivity has sort of a, I don't know, can feel kind of icky in the scheme of education. Or you can just think about it in terms of how successful someone is going to be in their role, how valuable their tenure will be to your students, and, and most especially to them and their growth and their learning. Um, and so the hope is that you will have a fully engaged employee, someone that feels psychologically secure, someone that feels 
capable of coming in and fully investing themselves in the workspace. And to, you know, to make that happen, I think so much of that, you know, intentional and unintentional messaging happens with what the onboarding process looks like. I think it's really critical at every level for people to, to think through that there's actually nothing that you could be doing that is more important in your work right now than bringing this person on board well. Um, that anything else that you're trying to factor in and balance, unless it's the onboarding of seven other people, is probably not uh, is probably not more important because you have to think about the trickle down effect and how valuable our human resources are, how much of higher education is spent on human resources. So, anyway, yeah, I think it's important. In summary, yes. Yeah, I love the um, the note about priority and like making your new employee is a priority. Cause I, I do think that that is sometimes lost in the process. It's like, how do I, um, you know, there's like an emphasis on like getting them through the door and moving them towards the productivity that you mentioned, like, okay, how do we get them set up so they can start doing the job? Um, and to your point, like, yes, that's important. That is like the like outcome of this, right. Is making them successful in doing their work in addition to building them up as individuals. But I think that piece about like, it's not, you know, we sometimes jump too quickly into output and productivity and we don't think enough about the people and, and prioritizing them. And I mean, I think the like un, the thing that maybe is unspoken here is like a lot of folks, especially in higher ed, like when they're coming and onboarding with you, like they are experiencing probably a major like life shift, right? Like the, the nature of our work is that we also like we move around the country to take jobs, um, you know, like people sure some people stay in a region and maybe it's not like a big shift for their life but often when people are coming to you i think about the example i said of michaela like literally driving in last wednesday like she was driving here from florida which is florida south carolina you know i mean she's moving several states away i mean there's a lot that's sort of going on in people's lives in addition to them taking on a new job and i think we can do a disservice if we too quickly jump into like okay here's what you need you now start working right and not recognize like transition we give so much emphasis to our student transition when they come to Clemson, but I say Clemson because of our share context, but come into an institution of higher ed. Um, but do we give that even like a fragment of that same thought to our staff and, and when they come in to, to work at a, at a new institution as well? I mean, no one, it, I think that that's such a good comparison and something that I think about too. Like no one is actually prepared to transition to a college campus. You know, we think that, we think that past experiences, whether that's formal education or, or work experience, prepare somebody for that. But like the liminal space that we talk about with our students, our staff are experiencing the exact same way. It is, you know, to move to a new place, whether you know people there or not, whether you have a network there or not, is still, I think, a small kind of social trauma. And it requires time and energy and effort. So when a person comes in, you know, not just on their first day, but as they're transitioning, as you're sending the schedule, as you're communicating, as you're helping with transition resources, whatever the case may be, you're building trust through that. You're sending this message that you matter, you're wanted here, you're cared for, and it creates people, uh, you know, the term that is used in employee engagement theory is psychologically safe. You know, uh, they feel comfortable to come in. And then, you know, you think about, you're able to then block out a lot of that other stuff and you're able to focus on how do I do my job well? Um, how do I build the connections that I need to build on campus? So anyway. Um, uh, so, Kate, why do you think onboarding is important? 
Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is like you, you know, this might sound like a, a cliche, but like you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? Like some of this, like you've talked about this building trust, the, like the the relationship that you build from day one is so, so important. And you like, you don't get that time back. Like you don't get that foundational trust building time back if, if you mess it up. Um, I mean, I think like certainly you, we all have messed it up in various ways and you can repair some of that, but I just think it's so important to, um, like you said, to like really prioritize that, to make that the most important thing in that time period for you as, as a supervisor. Um, you know, I think for me, and I think this speaks to that transition piece and transitioning to a campus, I think for me, onboarding is so little about, let me give you the, like the stuff you need to do your job, like the, like, you know, the, the details, the nitty gritty of like what your position is. It's so much more about integrating someone into a culture and into, um, sort of the, the nuance of, um, every college campus and all of the things that might be unique to those places. So helping people to, to feel like they understand like what they're walking into, um, to start to get familiar with like, the acronyms and the like the language people use the lingo the like hey when we see that person and we like people make a face here's what that face is about right like here's some of the the stuff that you need to know that's like that's not going to be in your employee handbook but is like sort of beneath the surface and and things that make a huge difference in people being successful um i think the other thing that i think about a lot and i think about it i guess because i supervise several people and you know we never have the luxury of like everyone coming on board at the same time there's always like this um you know someone's been here for 3 or 4 years and someone's coming in new and um it's a game of you know catch up i think for a lot of new employees to feel like they are like literally in every setting that they're in like running laps to try to keep up or try to catch up with where other folks in the department are. And I think that like, I've felt that feeling and it's a terrible feeling. And so I think for me, onboarding is so much about like, how do I help to get you onto some equal footing so that you feel like you can contribute and feel like you have enough of a foundational knowledge um, that you don't feel like in every meeting you're doing like double work to be like, okay, I'm here and present in this meeting and trying to follow what's going on, but I'm also trying to catch up on what's occurred previously or what is like the subtext in this space. Um, but to actually feel like you, like you belong and you can, you matter enough to contribute immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like different, you know, I mean, it's like different developmental spaces, right? Like everybody has sort of a different, everybody has like a different, and I think it, the more that you can normalize that is like, so, you know, critical for folks, the idea that like, I'm an assistant director, they're assistant director, and we both have to have sort of the same knowledge and skill sets. Like, I just think that this is, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, we're all engaged. Like if we can all engage in growth mindset thinking for ourselves, where we like, imagine that like, like those are all skills, right? Like you don't have those campus connections because you haven't been here that long, right? And and how do we build out that process to get people up, you know, it's not even up to speed to get them like connected to the human element of campus fast enough. So then they're able to, you know, to go out and to be able to innovate and to be able to problem solve and to be able to, like, I, I've thought about it before is like, I just don't have the tools yet. Like, I just don't have like, mm -hmm. you're telling me there's this issue 
I can fast forward in my mind in two years and know that I'll understand the institutional context and sort of the players on campus well enough to understand how to sort through that. But right now I just, I'm, I'm like grasping around and I just don't know how that works here well enough and re referring back to past institutional experience may be helpful or it may not be. And so I think it's just, I think it's just normalizing that and, and thinking about this as like, hey, we all have skills that we have to develop. And I think modeling it is so, you know, is so important, not, you know, projecting it as if like the learning is done and we're all good here. Um, I'm all good. I, I, I've learned everything I need to know, um, which goes back to the conversation that we had last time about like, how do you center learning in these relationships? So. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, what you're talking about normalizing, like sort of not knowing as a new employee, I think what's unfortunate is sometimes we get onboarding wrong and we don't know it till like six months down the road because it's like, okay, like, of course they don't know they're new. Right. But if, if in six months, you still don't know, because we haven't given you that knowledge all of a sudden, then it's like a, well, why don't you know this versus like looking back and like, well, did we actually give you the knowledge, help you find the knowledge that you needed? Um, I think like getting some of that initial information at the, at the outset and, and again, setting that foundation just becomes so important because again, you, you will find out in six months, maybe that you don't know that. And then it feels like, then it becomes a weird thing of like, okay, well, we're past your onboarding period, but yet we didn't set you up for success. And now there is no longer the sort of like, well, I'm new and I don't know. Um, and again, I think I've been in situations or seen situations where you assume onboarding is going well because there's some normalness to not knowing. And we don't know it till like maybe too far down the road that it, it wasn't set up well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think I think you're totally right. So in thinking about onboarding, starting from the very beginning of the interview process, Kate, how would you set up the interview to help build a relationship with candidates even before you know that that's the person that's going to come to campus? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I just want to like acknowledge that I love the way you have set this up and set up that question to acknowledge that like onboarding starts with the interview process. I think a lot of people think onboarding starts the day, like someone walks through your door or maybe the day you make an offer. Right. But I think you are um, pointing out something really important that we have to consider that interview process as part of the onboarding process. So I think for me, it's, um, I don't know, a couple of things I would say, you know, trying to be as real as possible in those interviews. Like I think starting to build that trust through, being genuine and authentic. I think, I don't know, maybe other people don't do, do this, but I feel like for me, I've like, I feel like I've got to like put on this, like I'm an interviewer, like supervisor sort of facade mm -hmm. for some reason. It's like, I don't even like intentionally do it. And I'm like, I've got to like sound professional. Um, and sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? Like the reality is I don't want to like people to feel like, you know, they interviewed with one person and then came to work for someone totally different. So I think being like real and like transparent as possible in that process. Um, I think a like very logistical way of doing that is if you are able to, I think for you to be the person that like really is coordinating the process. I know that that's run differently at different places, like where folks will, you know, someone else will run a search or someone else will help to, you know, schedule interviews and stuff like that. And while I get that, that's like a, sometimes a time, like capacity logistical issue, I think as much as possible for you as a supervisor to begin like having conversations with candidates for them to like hear your voice on the phone and for you to express your excitement about them coming to campus and to like really treat yourself during that interview process as like a guide for their, for their process, like to, to consider yourself, um, as much as you are interviewing and trying to find someone that's right for your role, 
that you also should be, you know, like thinking about like hospitality to a point and being like a good host for people as they're coming through a process, you know, considering their needs, trying to have some fun with them. Um, I think the other thing, and this is like maybe not a directly supervisor thing, but I think a, a thing a supervisor um, can really consider and something that ties back a little bit to us talking last week about identity and supervision and sort of being cognizant of identity in supervision is I think one of the ways you can really build a relationship with candidates and build trust with candidates is to let them talk to people that are outside of you, right? To give them an opportunity to hear from folks that um, they might work with. Obviously we do that like in campus partner interviews and stuff like that. Um, but I think a really strong way to do that and a, a strong way to indicate that you like see people as full people is, is to give them an opportunity to meet with affinity groups when they're in their interview process. So, um, you know, that could be as informal as like a lunch with folks or, you know, if it lines up and there's like a, a formal meeting on campus for people to attend while they're here, but giving them the opportunity to self-select into some groups of people that they want to meet with to really acknowledge that full whole person and the, and also the fact that like they are transitioning again to a new place and that finding community might be um, a top priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that like, to me, that is all like, everything that you're saying is like really connected to this idea that like, whether it's, you know, like not, you know, like not treating this as if it's some sort of like grill session, right. And like, you know, honoring people, you know, how people may be entering the space as you go through the process. I think if like we can think about this as a reciprocal process, like as much as possible. And I think in student affairs in many positions, we've been in a place where we could think about this as like, we're gonna vet a multitude of candidates. And, you know, for one, that may not be true going forward, but two, it's still a reciprocal process. You know, once you make that offer, that person is on campus. They are a part of your community. You are now in a like, in a, you know, it's one of the more significant relationships in your life. And to not, you know, and of course, you know, we're like honoring legality in this process, but to like not think about this is like, we're going to create this process where you can have as much information as possible about what it's like to actually be here, about what it's like to be in this community in a variety of fashions, what it's like to be in community here, what it's like to, you know, work together, all that sort of stuff I just think is so important. And I think one way that you can really honor that in the process, if you really believe in building a relationship, is to value references because that gives people, you know, like I, I fundamentally believe that our interview processes are broken. Like we just don't have enough information about someone to, you know, particularly with the review process to, to get it right. And I think references are oftentimes the most valuable kind of information that we can get going through that process. Because I don't know from the four, five, six, seven hours that I spend with someone in an interview process, whether they're actually going to be a good candidate, I can guess and I can hope that I'm right, but I don't have some sort of like personal exceptionalism kind of idea that I'm going to be the one to get that right. But people who probably do have a better sense of that are people's references. Those are lived long-term experiences with people where they've actually observed them in meaningful settings and situations. And they can speak to that with a degree of certainty that I just don't have. And so if you if you're honoring somebody's real life experience, then you're going to then you're going to hear out, you know, you're going to hear out those references. And it also creates a context for a relationship. You know, like I have 
you know, that process of talking to someone turns into like a shared understanding of someone's past experience that honors them and their experiences that are coming to campus. I can think of multiple sort of continued lines of dialogue that came out of references with candidates, you know, with candidates once they became staff members on campus. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens when they actually arrive on campus? What are some ways in which you um, work to best onboard new employees? So I think a thing that I have, uh, as I think Kate will talk about here in a minute, I uh, typically engage in a pretty detailed onboarding process for folks. Um, But one thing that I did sort of transition away from and let go of is that I think you have to set candidates up for relationships and for them to be able to engage in that work on their own. Um, You want people going out like I I heard this thing one time, my favorite sports writer talked about how his career really shifted when his boss basically made him go out and meet people. Like he was like, you're really good at the craft of writing, but I need you to go out and actually make context. That's the next step for you. And I think as you bring people to campus, again, if you want them to make connections that are going to be sustained and people come to campus in a variety of fashions, but a way that you can do that is you set people up for relationships, not just with, with, clear stakeholders, but with people that you believe may be meaningful contacts for them. And it may, you know, there may be collaboration that you can't anticipate, but I think we think of that sometimes in in very linear fashions. Okay, I'm going to, this is a key partner and this is a key partner and this is a key partner. I'm going to set up those meetings and you're going to go meet with them or they're going to come to you. And I think it's really critical to basically kind of push people out of the space. It helps people get to know campus, see other parts, but it also I think by putting the agency with the with the new employee to schedule those meetings, that's a kind of reciprocity that comes from that as well. Um, it also happens to save a ton of time in the onboarding process, not setting up like 20 meetings for people. Um, but by doing that, people are you know leaving the space, they're going out, they're making connections, and hopefully those connections can be really sustained things for folks because we all have to recognize that ultimately we can't control We want to believe that we can control someone's success once they're on campus, but we can't actually. But what we can't, you know, if we're the single point of contact and the single point of connection and we believe in some sort of, you know, heroic myth of supervision, you're going to end up falling short. You know, like it's not like you don't invest in folks, but they need to have other points of contact on campus to be successful personally and professionally. And so I think that that I think that that is one way that you can really. Um, critically do that. And then I think the other thing that you can do is you center learning in the process. You really build scaffolding to help people get to know the work, not necessarily immediately start doing the work. Actually give people time to sit down and reflect on, you know, critical readings from the field that are going to be really beneficial for them to understand about this specific job and this specific function. Um, So I, I think that that's another, I think that that's another really important part. And that really helps normalize. We're all building skills. We're all doing this together. Get together with that staff member and discuss those things. Don't make it a a passive thing. Make it be an active part of that relationship building process because, you know, you're getting there and you're getting that common language um, for one another. Yeah, I love that. And I think too, the importance of that, like occurring in both formal and informal like opportunities, right? So some of that is like, hey, come to this meeting where I'm, you know, maybe you don't need to be here. Maybe in your normal scope of your work, you're not going to participate in this meeting all the time, but I'm going to bring you here to introduce you to some people in sort of an informal way. 
Um, or maybe it is like informal opportunities of like, yeah, like you said, schedule this one-on-one with this person. And I think providing for me, what I have tended to do is providing a little bit of context, right? Like, here's why I think it's important that you meet with this person, but not providing any sort of agenda, like not, you need to talk about this, you know, this program's coming up and you need to get these details, like that. It's truly just a, here's what I think this person has to offer. And maybe as a starting point for a conversation, Um, But yeah, get to know them and see where your conversation takes you. I have been shocked um, in onboarding processes where I have worked with a campus partner for like years and a new employee comes in and they come back from one of those meetings with a program idea. I'm like, I've met with that person hundreds of times and that idea has never come up, but it's just like, right, the right people in the right room and an opportunity to just kind of talk openly without expectations and without, um, you know, this like accountability of like, oh, we're going to come out of this with a product back to the productivity piece, but like that the product of this is going to be us developing that relationship and, and maybe something really cool is going to come out of it. Um, I think what you talked about miles in terms of like, you know, the, the, the rigorous, not rigorous, that's not the right word, but the very, uh, robust, I think was the word you used, uh, process that you have is, one that I have certainly learned a lot from you about and um, one that I try to utilize myself now. Um, and I think for me, what I have found to be really successful in that is like pretty, like pretty, I don't know, deeply scheduling the first week, like really having a, like, you're going to walk in and have stuff to do because I have been in onboarding situations where I've walked in and maybe there's like an intro meeting and it's like, go review all these documents or go like, it's just like one day. And then it's like, well, good luck. See you later. Uh, here's some things you can review. Um, and certainly like, Hey, review, this is an important part of my onboarding process, but more importantly in that first week, um, I don't want to like run people ragged, but I do feel like I like, I, I, I really give them like a lot to do in that first week. Like here is a really like filled out schedule for you. Um, I think that helps to articulate that priority piece. Like we have stuff for you to do. We are like excited about you making these connections. Um, It doesn't leave people to like sit in their office with no connection to campus and no idea like what to do and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm twiddling my thumbs. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing in this office. Um, and then I think like tapering that off, um, in a way that's like, okay, there's maybe a little bit scheduled for you in your second week, but you're using some of that first week to set up those meetings and to start like really, um, having some autonomy, like about their own schedule and and preparing that. Um, but I, I feel like I can't overstate how important I think it is to really like have an intentional first week and it not be, um, it not be sort of a, a free for all or like a, big open blocks of time with like spend the whole day looking at these things or doing, you know, getting familiar with things on your own. Um, I also think building some fun in that, um, people that know miles, uh, and I know that miles particularly really likes ice cream at one place at Clemson. Uh, there's a really cool ice cream, uh, store on Clemson's campus. It's, uh, homemade by our students. Um, and, um, I think like going and getting ice cream, like as a team is like part of an onboarding process. Like, Hey, like building in, building in a welcome lunch, like stuff like that. That's also not all work, but is a chance to continue to, to cultivate relationships and, and to celebrate with people and to have some of those informal, informal opportunities for like fun and get to know you. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on onboarding from you, Miles? You know, one other thing that I thought of is just uh, as you're as you're bringing folks to campus, I think it's really important to not it it came to mind as you were talking about that 
somebody went and met with a campus partner that you had known forever and they came out with a program that you would not have imagined. Sometimes that'll happen and that's great. But the other thing that I would say is I work very hard to not put my baggage on other people, right? Like you may have run into a dead end with somebody and you're like, oh, this person's really difficult. And I think that there's a balance to that, right? You don't want to put someone in a situation where they end up like relying on someone that you know to not be reliable. But I also think you want this person to be able to get a fresh start to campus and make their own, you know, like one of the superpowers that people have when they come to campus is they have a fresh set of eyes. So they're going to ask different questions of your culture and of your community and of your programs. They're just, you know, I described it recently as like sometimes we get in a place where stuff is like so baked in the cake that we don't even know what the ingredients are anymore. And people who are coming to campus don't have that. So don't put that on them. Don't say like, oh, you need to go meet with so-and-so, you know, they're pretty terrible, but we got to get some FaceTime, <laughs> you know, like it's not yeah. setting somebody up to go and be successful and engage in sort of an open, you know, discourse. There may be just stuff that's happened there that, that, that this new person can move on from that you just couldn't, or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, or something may have shifted in a department in order to sort of open doors for, you know, for something to be different. And so um, that's just one other thing that I, that I thought of as you're introducing people to those settings, you don't have to give them sort of pie in the sky expectations about stuff. But I just don't think you need to put your stuff on other people, what, whatever that may be, personal, professional, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. So, I love that. Thank you for bringing that. I think that's very, very, very true. Well, we shared last week that we always want to wrap up our sessions um, sharing a resource with you. And I'm going to acknowledge that we're only two weeks in and I'm already cheating, I feel like. But I'm going to, can I say that my resource is this onboarding guide that we have referred to several times that to be very frank, Miles developed and we have adapted and, and changed probably a little bit over time, but it, all credit to him on the initial go of that. Um, I, we, I think one would be happy to share that if folks are interested in sort of seeing like what an onboarding guide might look like, or at least like sort of the, some of the parameters that we have in place on that. I would like shout out a couple of things as like, if you're working on that guide for yourself and you're thinking about onboarding a new employee, um, I think some of the things that have been probably most helpful for people in addition to like, Hey, here's your schedule. And here's some of the people you should meet with and all of that, that we've talked about, um, is putting in a section on acronyms, right? So like we say, we throw things around all the time on our campuses, um, and expect that people are just going to be like on board with it and know what we're talking about. Um, so I think helping to like spell some of those things out. Um, I think things you can share sort of about like office culture, um, can be in there in terms of like lingo that we might use. And so I'm going to share an example from several years ago. I don't think we still put this in here, but um, we had a former colleague, uh, Whitney Brown, shout out Whitney if she ever listens to this, um, who would park in a certain part of campus. And so we always called where she parked Whitney land and like our whole office referred to it as Whitney land. Like that's where she, she parked. And so that like went into our onboarding document, even after Whitney left, it was like, Hey, here's some like lingo that you'll hear people talking about this space on campus. And, um, or like we have a joke about the one o'clock meeting in our office, which the one o'clock meeting is after lunch, people go and grab coffee and then come back for their afternoon. So like, you know, the one o'clock meeting is something that everyone on the team knows. So I think thinking back to sort of that, like 
people feeling like they're trying to play catch up with like what is in the the space already. I think as much as you can provide some of that. Um, and I think sometimes it's fun too. Like it gives people sort of like some fun conversation about like, okay, the one o'clock meeting and you laugh about that or waiting land and you laugh about that. So, um, yeah, that's my resource. I think is like my resources is, is having a resource, having a guide to walk you through this process and something that you tangibly give to people on their first day. How about you mouse? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I agree. I agree with that. I think it's also good that like a lot of that onboarding stuff is going to be shared within a department, right? So like, if you got this one guy that you can start from my, my colleague here, Carson Lonnet has done a similar thing divisionally for, for JMU. And it's a, I think a tremendous resource in terms of, in terms of getting through some of that stuff. Um, I talked about employee engagement theory earlier. If you would like what I think is like a pretty solid read in terms of, you know, in terms of theory, um, William Kahn's 1990 article, Psychological Conditions of Personal Engagement and Disengagement at Work, I think holds up. Um, I would recommend it. Um, I'm thinking that we'll get to the place where I'll put stuff in the, you know, like put links in, um, in the notes for the podcast. And so I'll, I'll try to try to link that out um, for y'all, or I don't know, it's probably behind a paywall. So I'll figure that out. But anywho, um, thanks everyone for joining us for To Practice, which is presented by SACSA. You can get more information about SACSA, which is the Southern Association for College Student Affairs on its various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SACSA fan page on Twitter at SACSA tweets on Instagram at SACSA grams. Um, and again, as I shout out every time, sign up for the SACS alert. It's really, really great information uh, for SACS and its members. Um, Kate, thanks again. Thank you. Bye.